Sound Pages is a literary series featuring resident artists in the Jack Straw Writers Program. That voice had been hers, hers alone, and now she'd have to share it, share everything. And she didn't want to share everything. She didn't want to share anything. This program features the work of 2015 writer Ross McMeekin. Curator Kevin Kraft spoke with him in an interview. Writing, in a way, uh, allows you to explore many of those other different careers that you maybe didn't find as rewarding in action. Or yeah, yeah. talk a little bit about that. Like, give me one example of something you tried that didn't quite work out the way you'd hoped, but is actually more rewarding in writing. And well, I tried being a minister. I was uh, I was on track to be an ordained Presbyterian minister. I went. I was in charge of a college ministry in Malibu, California, for four years, and I dropped out of seminary and quit that job because it was definitely not a good fit for me on a lot of levels. But I love exploring um, that sense of mystery from the page much more. It's a much more comfortable place for me to do it. It's a much better fit. So that hasn't stopped. That exploration hasn't stopped, even though the the uh, job of being a guy with a robe in front of a lectern has stopped. Um, in the same way, um, I love sports. Unfortunately, I'm not as talented as I wish I was, but I can write about them. To butcher a quote from Hemingway, it's like, writing's great because you get to explore all that other stuff, you know? And for me, um, I'm easily bored. So to constantly be learning, constantly be researching, constantly be reading and exploring ideas and messing around with stuff, especially fiction, making stuff up. You can be, you know, it sounds maybe trite, but you can slip into the skin of a bunch of different lives that you could never have done in your own real solid skin. When, at what point did you take the turn towards fiction and getting interested in character and um, motive, plot, those sorts of things? I think I caught the bug in my in undergrad. I was a, at the University of Washington. I took a contemporary lit class. At the time, I was a music major, um, jazz performance, and um, I, t- I had to take some classes on the side as well that weren't within the music department. I took um, a contemporary lit class, and two writers, Cormac McCarthy and Flannery O'Connor, um, were books that we had to read by them, and they totally blew my mind. This was stuff that was compelling on an entirely different level than the things that I'd been reading before. And I started to try my hand at writing stories that I never showed anyone, and I'm glad that I never showed anyone because they were terrible. But I started to just kind of do it and practice it a little bit and put it away and practice it. And um, my reading and what I was reading and what I was interested in um, I, I mean, that's what I felt was so great about being an undergrad. I switched to English literature as my undergrad major and left the, the music department. But being led to all these sorts of books that I hadn't read and being able to kind of form and talk and discuss arguments about them and examine them on a level that made them even more fascinating than just, you know, in bed on my pillow before I went to sleep or wherever. It's like I'm really digging into this sort of stuff. So that was kind of where I really first started to get interested in it. How often do you find yourself 
um, writing about the relationship of fathers and sons or parents and children? Um, constantly, I'd say. Um, enough that I'm wary of it, <laughs> that it's kind of what I end up going towards. There's a magnetism to it, and I don't know quite what the genesis of that is other than that just tends to be what I end up writing about. I could start a story in any way, and it will veer in that direction. Um, once I become attached to it emotionally, that's there's a center there that I feel like draws and, you know, I could write a story that wasn't, but when I start to get involved, it heads in that direction to relationship dynamics between family members and family history and past and kind of both the ways that our past and our family and our history affect each other, but also the ways that there are things that can't be explained that exist, which can be problematic. You know, a lot of times answers that, that aren't there can be very problematic in families too because um, I don't know why. <laughs> but it seems as if, you know, you can draw lines between things, cause and effect, but then there's these mysterious things that happen and how we exist and interact with each other, and those can be a threat to the consistency of families mm -hmm. um, as much as they can be a blessing. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I'm, I'm fascinated, and it's mysterious to me, and I think that's part of it. It's a, a hole that I can't get to the bottom of. And yet, for some reason, I guess the real question is, why do I feel any need to dig at all? Well, I don't know. Now we'll hear a selection from Ross's live reading. So this, this piece I'm reading tonight is from a collection uh, in the works that I'm tentatively calling Small Fiery Blooms. I'm, I'm really fascinated by birds. I'm kind of obsessed by birds. I have this whole ever-changing string of, of bird feeders and bird bass in the, in the front yard and the backyard trying to like lure them to come to my house <laughs> so I can watch them. <laughs> and they don't always come, but, I, but I'm fascinated by them. And I'm fascinated by habitats, um, the ways in which particular ecosystems create ways of living and ways of being. Um, have you ever seen Birds of Paradise? If you want to waste like a year of your life, YouTube Birds of Paradise. They're like the craziest animals you'll ever see and they're just amazing. Um, I'm fascinated by them, how they came about. Um, bright colors, they've got these weird mating rituals. Um, and, and this ties in because um, I'm really interested in how a particular set of circumstances like the rainforest in the South Pacific can give life to creatures with very singular habits and appearances that allow them to survive and to thrive like the birds of paradise in their own niche. But outside of that, those things might be the stuff that causes them to be unhappy or even causes their demise. Um, I'm, I'm obsessed with birds and I'm obsessed with families, um, not just my own, because um, I think of them kind of like they're their own little habitats, their own little ecosystems. They have their own rules and rights and habits um, and expressions, and, and I just find it fascinating. I, I'm, I'm on the internet a lot, as you might have already picked up. Um, <laughs> And I think a lot of the internet culture has to do with culture in a capital C, mass, massive group behavior. And I think that's really interesting, but in my work, I'm often more interested in community in a smaller sense, in a tighter sense, the ways in which families in their own ways, and all their various iterations can create these strange and wonderful beliefs and behaviors, their own logic. 
So this is a story that in some ways plays off of that. And it's called Darling. Sammy hadn't been allowed to see her mom for over a day and she would topple mountains in anger. Her insides were squirmy and even with her grandmother right there in the living room, the house felt empty. Mom needed to come home now. Mom was terrible and Sammy hated her. Hate, hate, hate. She would kick the moon and it would go dark and then they would all understand. She hated grandma too. It was mom's fault and daddy's fault, but it was also grandma's fault. She could do something, but she wouldn't do anything. And she wasn't paying any attention. Never before had Sammy needed to yank the hem of her dress to remind her to play, to even just watch her dance. Sammy whined. What's wrong? Grandma asked. Sammy turned around and faced the print of green and blue rolling hills on the opposite wall, and the hills were like mom's tummy, and she whined some more. No, no, no. She didn't want a baby. She didn't want a baby sister. She didn't want to be a good big sister. She wanted mom to call her darling, like she always did. The door swung open, and in stepped daddy, face red and mouth smiling, arms stretched out for Sammy. Come, look. Your baby sister. Sammy didn't want to look. She hated the baby. She wanted to hug daddy, but he needed to come get her because how did he not see that this was unfair? She stayed in the middle of the living room, arms crossed, toes rubbing the tight stitches of the rug. Then mom came in, finally. Her smile was thin and pale, and her eyes looked tired, and they were searching. For Sammy? Yes. Mom smiled. And that smile was a fluffed pillow, warm sheets. But Sammy still wanted to kick the moon, maybe now even more. What had taken so long? In Mom's arms was a bundle of white cloth. A small white fist poked out like a doll's, only a darker pink. It was a gross pink, Sammy thought. Grandma clapped and hurried from the couch to the entryway. She held out her old knobby finger Sammy was afraid of and tickled the baby. <laughs> tickle, 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 tickle. But those words had always been for Sammy. Sammy, Mom said, it's your sister, Anna. But Mom's voice wasn't soft. It sounded rough, prickly, like Daddy's face, like a pine cone. Sammy didn't like it, didn't like the way it said, Anna. That voice had been hers, hers alone, and now she'd have to share it, share everything. And she didn't want to share everything. She didn't want to share anything. Mom sat down. Daddy and Grandma walked behind the back of the couch to look down at the baby. No one was looking at Sammy. Beautiful, said Grandma. What a darling little girl. Sammy felt so many things, a swarm, like the one from the bee's nest that had appeared under the blackberry bushes in the backyard earlier that summer. Sammy had skipped through the dandelions, covering the lawn towards the buzzing. She knew they were bees and that bees stung, but would they really sting her? All she wanted to do was touch them, to feel the white papery wrapping of their home. Grandma cooed to the baby. Come say hello, Mom asked again. Sammy took a few steps toward the baby and mom peeled back the cloth so that she could see the face. It was misshapen 
and even a little purple in some places. Why would they be calling this baby darling? She wasn't pretty at all. She looked ugly and sick and gross. Even her eyes seemed to bulge like a scared cartoon. And something was wrong with her mouth. Did no one see that? Where the middle of her lips should have been was an empty space. Her lips met her nose with only a dark pink space in between. All Sammy could see were gums. Ew, her mouth, she said. No one laughed. Usually they laughed at everything she said when they were all together. She wanted everything to stop, like it did in cartoons right before someone fell off a cliff. Stop right now. She wanted her mother to call her darling, to give this baby to someone else. <laughs> Honey, Anna has a hurt lip, mother said, but soon the doctor will make it all better. I think it would help if you gave her a little hug. Sammy looked up. And now they were smiling at her, but the smile felt like an order, like the smile they gave when they told her to clean her room or finish her dinner. I'm not hugging her, she said. She's ugly. <laughs> She's just a little baby, Daddy said. Sometimes little babies look like that when they're born. But Sammy knew that this was a lie. She had seen pictures, and everyone said that from the first moment she'd come out, she was pretty. She was going to argue, but now they weren't even looking at her. They were making all the faces to Anna that they used to make to her. Mom snuggled the ugly baby close to her chest. <laughs> I want her to go away, Sammy said. Now, darling, Mom said, we don't talk like that about your sister. She's a part of the family now, and we all love her. I don't love her, said Sammy. There was a buzz inside of her, like she had to go to the bathroom, but worse. She could barely stand it. She almost wanted to scream, and I'm not your darling. She walked up to the baby and she held out her open hand and she hid it on its ugly face. She felt dad's firm hands around her and someone said, oh sweetie, and Sammy screamed as loud as she could. And then she was up in the air in daddy's arms and she hated them and she hated him and his arms and his soft words and she screamed again and the baby was making pitiful noises and Sammy screamed louder to make them stop and she was carried to her room and she screamed and screamed and tried to get the buzzing in her head to stop. And then she was on her bed, sitting, crying. She felt her father's hands on her back. I love you, he said. We love you and that will never change but everything had changed. She hit the bed and hit her pillows and hit her stuffed animals and her eyes stung with tears. She wished she had an ugly face and a messed up lip so that she could be that darling once again. Sound Pages is a Jack Straw production. The 2015 curator of this program is Kevin Kraft. This episode of Sound Pages was produced by Daniel Gunther and Levi Fuller. Recording engineers are C.J. Lazenby, Tom Stiles, Mo Preventure, Daniel Gunther, and Steve Tatori. Narrator is Alyssa Keene. And executive director of Jack Straw Cultural Center is Joan Rabinowitz. Theme music by St. Helen's String Quartet, produced through the Jack Straw Artist Support Program. The Jack Straw Writers Program is made possible with support from the City of Seattle Office of Arts and Culture, Fort Culture King County Lodging Tax Fund, the Washington State Arts Commission, the National Endowment for the Arts, Arts Fund, 
and individual contributors. All of the writers heard in this series are published in the Jack Straw Writers Anthology, available for purchase and featured online at jackstraw.org. Thank you for listening. <laughs>